Welcome to another episode of We're Doing Our Best. Uh, we have finally back on the mic, the mystical unicorn Jim. <laughs> Hello, good afternoon, everyone. Yeah. Twinkle, twinkle. Twinkle. We got Marie on the microphone. Hello. And Michael Parrott on the microphone. Hello, everybody. We are uh, Jenniferless today. Um, yep, she had prior engagements, so the girl bonding won't be going on, but I'm liking the feeling of a lot of testosterone oh, in the room. It's, it's great. It's, it's great really moment. excellent. It has been a while on an episode where there has been more uh, testosterone on the microphone. So I'm I, sure I can balance well, it out. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm sure you can Estrogen. handle it. But, <laughs> but um, how, how's everybody been? Jim, no one has heard from you for a while. You were on that Alaskan cruise and, uh, yeah. uh, you know, just a scavenger hunt around the world. So tell us how you've been. How, yeah, the, how's life treating you? The cruise was great. It was uh, about three weeks. Um, I had uh, throat cut sheep lasagna. It was really good. Um, and we got to see a lot of wildlife out there. So glad to be back. A lot of what, bulls. Did you see bulls? A lot of bulls. What was the what was the favorite uh, favorite wildlife on the trip? Um, I'd have to say the. Uh, the uh oh what do you call them it's uh it's an alaskan bull elk bull elk yeah now I, the the listeners were wondering we got a couple emails about this from the last episode uh it it was said you know your your alaskan cruise line left out of georgia that's right um can you explain the just the thinking on that and why an alaskan cruise would leave out of a georgia port well, if you think about it, I mean, we all know that the world is round, but the closest point from A to B, B being Alaska, is actually leaving, deporting from Georgia. Similar, if you're going to fly to China, you go up and over Alaska because of the round and the curvature of the world. So that's what we did. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Michael, you're looking confused over curves. there. <laughs> Things are always better with curves. Yeah, if the world was flat, we'd leave out of Oregon. Segway right Segway into, Michael. into Michael. Michael, how have you been, sir? Well, I never fell off the cliff in Oregon and into the ocean, so I'm good. Off the edge of the earth. <laughs> the edge of the earth uh, for you flatliners out there. Uh, <laughs> so not everybody knows that the earth is round, but everyone in this room does. That's the good news. Good. Yeah. And, you know, I I feel like that thing, things are constantly evolving with stuff like that. I mean, once everybody believed the earth was flat, now everyone believes it's round. And now there's a telescope out there that's, and I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it, it is like recreating the past of mm -hmm. the galaxies and stuff mm -hmm. such. And I'm part of that, actually. Are you? Well, yeah, my company makes sensors that go on the, well, that uh, equipment. Well, that that's actually pretty impressive, but I, I will tell you, it was interesting. I was reading an article in the National <laughs> I was reading an article in National Geographic, and it has actually predicted uh, that we are going to collide with another galaxy. I can't. The name escapes me, but it was a larger galaxy um, in four billion years. So. Oh. Uh, where Keep the preppers that and, on your and, calendar. And wow. it has recreated that we will not survive it. So I'm a little disappointed in that, that I can only see the world from 4 billion years and, you know, beyond this. But 
Um, what is that new telescope I read about? Uh, I can't think of the name. Michael, did did you have the name on that? I have no idea. I'm, the looking, name of that. I'm googling it. It's interesting though. Yeah, it, I was just thinking with modern name. medicine too. We'll name. definitely live for a billion years from now, so Probably we'll be able good. to see this. Yeah, I you know I wouldn't object as long as my body doesn't break down into dust and I'm not living in a glass jar being wheeled around. I can, you know, I'd go for it. Are you ready? Yes. It's the James Webb Space Telescope. I wonder who invented that. I didn't want to brag, but I knew that. <laughs> wait, wait, James, James, who? James. How who? could this link See back the coincidence? to you? <laughs> how now does it say who invented the James Webb Telescope? That's. I can't figure that out. No. NASA. Can't NASA. figure that out. <laughs> I'm guessing a guy named James Webb. I think his name starts with a J, but I'm Maybe. not sure. He might work, anyway, he might work for Elon I have Musk. Read an article, I have read some articles and looked at the pictures, and they are amazing. Yeah, they are pretty cool. It's, 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 a, pretty it's amazing neat what to look can out. be done. Mm-hmm. Um, furthermore, they're saying, like, I don't know, the sun was fizzling out in five billion years, and... Something it, just fell off know. the sun, it's a didn't whole, it? It's a whole thing. A chunk of it. Yeah, yeah, a chunk of the sun just fell off. Yeah. But that is what it is. I Marie, digress. <laughs> Marie. I digress. How <laughs> have you been the last couple of weeks wrestling? Uh, <sighs> wrestling. Oh, it just goes on and on. I thought St. John's basketball was the sport that never ended, but it's not. It's not ended yet. I know. We still have a state tournament this weekend. Um, any Any good... Update news on the on the Marysville women's wrestling program? Uh, we're doing well. We have this week off pretty much um, in terms of competition. We're heading into districts next Sunday, a week from today. Okay. Kara won her wrestle-off, so she is now the official 135-pounder, and her season continues. Good. Oh, so she's awesome. gaining a little more confidence mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. She's had to, she had to bump down a weight class. Uh, she lost that wrestle off, had to bump down. She's been at this weight class. There was some shakeup in the lineup. Girls kept going down to try to get a spot, and she won her wrestle off on Friday. So she she's in for 135. Good. So she's been doing well. Callie's rolling, rolling hard. And um, Cammie's got her middle school state tournament the following weekend. Okay. So, uh, How's she doing? She's doing well. She's still training, and um, hopefully she wants to win this year, so I think she's going to go up a weight class. Okay. She's still trying to figure that out. But she's gotten second and third, and um, she's beat all the girls previously. She just needs to get her head. I think she finally has committed. So Is there a chance? Does she, oh, yeah. Tammy have a chance? Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah. She, sh- she should have won. Yeah. Okay. And yes. I know what Callie's still the favorite in, in hers. I know she I mean, beat the girl a, who was the heart, favorite. She is. Yeah. <laughs> She'll always be Dan. Uh, she's since she has gone down and uh, she switched weight classes as well this year. And I don't know the rankings for. I think she was ranked second or third at um, just because she lost last year and took second. So in the state, she, yeah, or and country. She's okay. like twelfth national, eleventh or twelfth nationally. So, but. You know, that's that strong wrestling genes in the Lang family there. They're there. Definitely in the genes. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I want to give a shout out to uh, the Marysville Monarch uh, girls varsity basketball, basketball team. yes we heard we watched that yes Fantastic. impressive mm-hmm. so i i don't know if you've been following them jim they they made it so they made it to the big uh state tournament 
in the first round, they made national news winning 91 to 3. Mm-hmm. I, I did see an um, article. My second cousin's like, niece wow. once removed. 91 to 3. Yep. It, it's not even a game. Crazy. I no? guess they didn't take their foot off the pedal. No. <laughs> Can you put in your second and third string? Well, they, doesn't sound like it. They are now, they just won the they district. Did. So they they won the district championship, and now they are in the uh, state semifinal or something. Yeah. So um, they play Westerville South, I believe, Tuesday uh, to try to move on to the, I think, mm-hmm. final four or something. So. I hope they keep going. I mean, they've only lost a couple games this year. So Marysville basketball. There's a there's a diver. I get the um did you see about yeah. that diver? Yeah, I did. I saw I that too. That, her name. Michael, um, you know do you you train any of these athletes? I do not train these athletes, unfortunately. Um, but that would be nice. It'd be That's, nice to train yeah. some basketball players. You swim I do also? I did just get about seven basketball players uh from fairbanks mm. because they mm. the middle school boys won their championship this year oh so. nice nice very good yeah it, it's marysville uh athletics has been it, killing these winter sports so yeah they're doing very um, well we'll uh we'll see if that carries into the spring with track and field and baseball yeah. um and, and i don't know if they do a spring soccer or not i've the know. boys wrestling team had four t- all 14 wrestlers placed in the top six. And wow. 12 of them went on to districts. Wow. They had a good weekend, the boys. There's some diver girl I keep seeing on here. Yeah. Um, she, I think she, did she win states? I think, I, I remember seeing it. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't remember if she won. I will say, uh, so we, we just watched the end of this Jake Paul, uh, Tommy Fury fight. I'm glad to see Jake Paul go down, even though he's an Ohio boy. But they did make mention that Jake Paul was an Ohio wrestler and a a fairly acclaimed Ohio wrestler. And that that is not an easy thing to do in the state of Ohio. So that's uh, I thought that was a little shout out to Ohio. Figured we'd throw it here on this podcast. (laughs) But uh, what you guys watched the end of the fight. Jim, give us your take on the end of that uh, Jake Paul fight. Well, I don't watch much uh, boxing at all, but I tell you, it was very aggressive. Both of them were out to win it. Um, they were landing a lot of shots, so it was really impressive to see. Very good. I, you know, <clears throat> and, and Michael Jim hits like these keywords when you're talking about sports. Like, so if you're talking about football, he gets you with the yeah, the uh, quarterback looked good, touchdowns and. Field goals were going in, and uh, both teams coached were coached hard. And it's just it's like these nice little fire points on every. Well, every my great sport. uncle, do you know Harry Carey? I do not oh, from no. Chicago. No, I do oh, not. Um, so he was a he was a pretty popular sports announcer, but it runs in the family. It's in the genes. That and good looks, but yeah, lots of genes here tonight. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of genes here tonight. But we uh, <laughs> that it actually kind of segments uh, into our later. Part of our episode with uh, Elevate Strength and Conditioning. Uh, Michael is the owner of that, and he is going to tell us all about maximizing the power of your genes um, through sports science. So um, he'll he'll get to tell us that, and it is uh, some fascinating stuff. And I am not too modest to say sometime he gets to talking, I feel dumber than a, a box of bricks because I'm. It sounds all like great stuff, and I I see the merit. In it, and then I'm I'm like I have no idea 
what that word means. Well, and then I start focusing on it. So that is the hardest thing, figuring out these sciences and just a way to translate it to everybody, right? Speak the same language that everybody else does. That is that is basically what my job is to do. Because a lot of the science is very basic. I mean, we have the same body. It's not like we've evolved in the past 2,000 years. So biometrically, we're made up the same way. It's just finding a way to translate for people to understand it. That's it. That's it for us well, third I think graders. I have steered in the away room. from the norm, though, <laughs> somehow a bit. But yeah, directionally, I agree. Um, Michael, what'd you what'd you take of the fight? So I, you know, given given your field, um, did you think there was any chance Jake Paul was going to win a fair fight? You know, I didn't think that he was going to win, just given that Tommy has been a fighter all of his life. And what I noticed, what a lot of people won't talk about, is Tommy was the one that was increasing the pressure the whole time. If you looked at the fight, Jake was always kind of moving backwards and Tommy was always moving forward, which is why Tommy got knocked down from that jab because it wasn't a very strong jab, but he was also walking into it at the same time. So it, it met in a collision, which is why he fell down. Yeah. It, 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 and from my perspective, it looks like he slipped, but he did pop right back up. He looked oh, confused yeah. as to why they called it a knockdown. And, Correct. But... You know, I'm, I'm glad that didn't cost him. And I I want to see the fight from the lens of the one judge who scored it 74-75 in Jake Paul's favor when the other two were 76-73. Yeah. Uh, right. Because usually when it's that close, you have it flip-flopped uh, by one point. But I, I don't know that I've seen too many where it's, you know, three-point difference in two judges' eyes and then a one, you know, four-point swing mm -hmm. in the other judges' yeah, eyes. So. Yeah. Uh, perhaps he was sitting by uh, Logan on the side while he was scoring <laughs> that. Um, but very good. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have everybody back here. Uh, you know, this is a, a short opening segment. We don't have Jen here to grace us with a 20-minute uh, story of, of how her two weeks have been. Uh, we love you, Jen. We can't wait to have you back on the microphone Ditto. to extend our sessions. Uh, Jim, uh, really missed you. We got started a little late today. We had to console Jim. It, it was all thing. Uh, it got a little messy. I'm not going to lie, but uh, appreciate the support, Dan. You're welcome. We're here, one team. I know he was very excited, but uh, you can you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, uh, Spotify, and anywhere that offers podcasts. Um, this obviously is not going out live, but we'll be out in a couple of days. So. Um, I'm sorry that we spoiled the Jake Paul fight for anybody who oh, had it recorded. We should have done. <sighs> yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Mm. Jake Paul lost. But with that being said, we will be right back. Andy's from Ohio. Yep. Andy's from Ohio. <laughs> Double whammy if you're a fan. Dang it. <laughs> and the world's going to end. We don't want to forget that. Oh, yeah. Terrible In host. Four billion here. years. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Okay. We, we don't want to bring anybody down. There's wow. still time to make your amends. Um, we'll redeem ourselves yeah, with this interview. Yeah, with perfect. Him. But uh, coming back, we're, we're going to have Michael up, and uh, he is going to talk third grade talk to us and explain the sports science behind Elevate's strength conditioning. We will be right back with we're doing our best. Hey, this is Teddy, uh, one of the owners of Walking Distance. If you want to come down to Walking Distance, we got bingo every Wednesday at 7 p.m., trivia Thursdays at 7 p.m. And then uh, make sure to check us out. Uh, cheers.
We are back with We're Doing Our Best Podcast. We are still uh, joined here with Marie and Jim, and we have Michael Parrott on. Uh, he is the owner of Elevate Strength and Conditioning. Uh, he introduced himself, so we are not going to go back into introductions. Michael, we are happy to have you on. Um, now, let, let's talk a little bit about the gym. So uh, what what makes it different? What makes what you do with Elevate, Elevate Strength and Conditioning, what makes that different from the other fad gyms, other, other gyms in the area? Well, uh, first of all, I would say people that come to me, everyone that comes to me goes through a physical evaluation first. That physical evaluation is broken down into three parts for athletes and then two parts for adults. Uh, the three parts are the very first part is a passive evaluation. So you don't have to do anything. You just sit on a table. I check the joint lines. I'm looking for asymmetries, uh, muscle imbalances or impingements. And then from there, we go to a passive test because I want to see how you deal with what I find on the table and gravity. We're all subjected to that. So after that, uh, for an athlete, I do something called KPIs. Those are key performance indicators uh, because we have those in sport as well. And then uh, after that, based on what I found in those evaluations, that's how we write a program for uh, your sport and your strength conditioning uh, prescription. So is it, if someone doesn't pass these tests, is is it a pass fail or is it a scale? I mean, there, so there are seven different parameters of the test itself on the passive side. And there are people that fail some of those. It's just based on norms. Um, and those norms, basically the ones that I'm looking at the most is and I'm going to try to explain this the best way that I can. When you're sitting in a chair, your hip is at hip flexion, 90 degrees hip flexion. So I test hip flexion and then I, in hip flexion, I test internal rotation of the hip and external rotation of the hip. And the reason why those are very important is because both of those are used in sprinting and most sports you sprint or you move forward, you propulse. <laughs> You have to have internal rotation to propulse, and then you have to have external rotation to push off the ground. So the, the, that primary one is the most important one, I would say. Hmm. Okay. Does anyone else do like tests like that? Or is so, that just with your degree and your education? Well, but, uh, <laughs> I'm really not that smart. I just pay attention to people, and I pay attention to my clients. And I have been fortunate enough to be lucky to be around the right people at the right time. And that's really what it boils down to. Wow. So the guy that I learned that from is one of the best PTs in the nation. And he used to live in Hilliard, Ohio, and now he lives in Maine. So, you know, it makes uh, communication a little bit tougher, but I still reach out to him. He's the one that uh, taught me these evaluations. And uh, it's a guy that I still, when I get stumped, I call him up and he's the guru. So mm, everyone should wow. have a guru. So based off of the evaluation... I'm sure. Is it done by age, sport, size? How do you, all of those are factors? It's done off the factor of every human has these parameters that they should be able to go into and, and their joint lines. And if they can't make those parameters, I figure out why, whether it's muscle imbalances or impingements, or if it's just 
bad posture over time. So you've heard the adage, I am what I eat. Mm-hmm. Everyone's heard that. Well, with posture and the way the joint lines work, you are what you do. So if you sit at a desk all day long, yeah. some of those things are going to show up within the body. Do you work primarily with athletes? Yes, I am on the performance side. I do okay. hold a adult class every day, uh, Monday through Friday. So I have one adult class every day. But mostly it's child athletes, developmental. So why, why do you do these evaluations? That's a great question. So the reason why I do the passive evaluation is because people, especially athletes, understand their body very well because they have to use their body for their sport. So it's easy for them if I do the completely active evaluation, they know how to cheat those situations. They can turn on muscles and shut off muscles at will. Once I get them on the table, they can't do that. They're not, you know, it, it makes it a lot harder for them to do that. Kind of like the reflex on the knee. Once you, you tap exactly. it, it goes. Exactly, that's right. All right, see, maybe I understand more than I let on. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> that was a lucky guess. Um, so you mentioned KPIs, and I I feel like uh, sports in general has, has made a big shift uh, from back, even back when, when I was little, definitely back when Jim was little, um, where, you know, it's not just about the size and the strength and, you know, you have – the biggest boy on the field, you know, playing uh, defensive tackle or, or defensive end, um, et cetera. But now it, it's very much more scientific where it, it, people are leaner. They're, uh, they're not quite as big in bulk, but, you know, they're still big in, in mass. Um, so it, there is a big shift towards the KPIs. Can you kind of explain that and how that plays a factor? Yeah, I would say – what you're referring to about size is true of high school athletes, right? Because size does matter in high school. If you look at wrestlers in that eighth grade and ninth grade, some of those young people look like men. They literally look like men. And then you got this other kid that hasn't hit, you know, he's prepubescent. So he hasn't hit maturation yet. And it yeah. looks like he's literally wrestling a man, a kid with a mustache. Well, same goes in football when you play these offensive lines and defensive lines. If you got a kid that's really big, he's going to be able to hold the line better. So that's where the size thing comes in. I think the biggest problem with that is coaches don't know when to shut that off and neither does our society. I mean, our society's built around that. You know, you go through a drive through hey, would you like to supersize that for a dollar? Yes, please. Let's do that. And more is not always better. And that's where we're learning the sciences of things. You know, if if you are larger and you can still, you know, do a vertical jump the same height as someone who's leaner and thinner, then it is going to prove well for you. But if you're not, if if you're bigger and you and you don't move well, there's not sports that are played at a slow pace. All sports are played at a fast pace. Sure, and and I the, I guess the best example um, th- that I can use and and. You know, you if you stack them up and you looked at them coming out of high school, uh, Kevin Durant and LeBron James. Um, LeBron James was physically much more imposing than Kevin Durant, even still is. Kevin Durant looks like a cornstalk running around on a basketball court, but you know he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's going to go down as one of the best players to ever play the game. Um, 
and that he doesn't look like Patrick Ewing or Dirk Nowitzki looked or, or those traditional guys who played those positions. He's he's much leaner, much thinner, but hits the same levels as as those other players. And I think that's when skill acquisition comes into play. I mean, if you think about what you said about LeBron, that's how LeBron plays too. He uses his size as an advantage, just like Shaquille O'Neal used to. He used his size as an advantage. So it comes off as like this almost bully maneuvering. You know, you just push people sure. to decide what you need to do, but you still make make the points. And then Durant, he's more skill acquisition. So he has more skill to be able to still do the same thing that they, all those, those other larger players can do. Hmm. Very nice. Well, that works in track and field. Um, cause I used to do a shot and disc and I'd always, that's right. The, the guys that could beat me were the, the tall athletic. It wasn't the, the guys that could bench press 400 pounds. Interesting that you brought that up because I was just reading something, uh, about this Russian coach named Bondarchek. And one of the things that I do at elevate strength and conditioning is we, we do velocity training. Right. So this this coach, he could not figure out why he had one shot putter that could bench press 600 pounds. He had another shot putter that could bench press 500 pounds. But the guy that bench pressed 500 pounds was throwing the shot putt much further. So it bothered him and he kept wondering why. And then one day he watched them bench press. Well, the guy that was bench pressing 500 was moving the bar much faster than the guy moving the 600 pounds. And then he knew, okay, we should start testing from point A to point B, how fast people move that bar. And again, once again, I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time. And I met this guy from Mizzou, Dr. Brian Mann, who brought all the velocity training back to the States from the Russian text. And he taught me about that. And I, I use a unit here right here at Elevate Strength and Conditioning, and that's what we do. We get these parameters that are based on sport. You know, so max strength is how fast you move meters per second. So those sports need to be moving at meters per second as well. And it depends on the position and what sport you're playing. Mm -hmm. And then that's how you determine what they need to be doing as far as how fast they need to be moving a bar or, yeah. or an exercise. So, and why is that important so you you said it is important gave the examples but why why is that important what are the different types of groups uh that your body uses that makes that important so what really makes that important is fast twitch muscle and slow twitch muscle right so it's a lot easier to train slow twitch muscle it's a lot harder to train fast twitch muscle but you don't want to always be maxing out because maxing out is going to absolute strength is going to move at a slow pace. And then you're training your central nervous system to move slow. And then you're going to make yourself move slow as well. Well, and isn't maxing out just like one rep? It's, it is. It's the most, mm -hmm. I mean, you might be able to bench press an astronomical amount of weight, but you're doing that one time. Correct. Not for a six minute match or a 30 minute game. Correct. Or, Correct. Or football game or whatever. Now, if you look at football though, it would fall more in strength speed because you're doing this explosive movement and then you have a rest period. Mm -hmm. You're doing like this 15, so maybe it's an at endurance. most. It's exactly. More like an, it's an endurance. And then you got this rest period before push. they break, you know, they get in the huddle again and then break and make the next play. So 
what that is is called explosive repeat method. That's what you use with football players. You know, you do three cleans and then you rest for 30 seconds and then do three cleans and rest for 30 seconds. Whereas like wrestlers, it's a little bit different with them. They're going to be fall more under like speed strength because they are moving constantly. Same with like soccer players. They're constantly moving the field. Same with rugby players. Same with lacrosse, right? There's not these little breaks in between each play. Same with basketball players. Hmm. So then how does conditioning come into play for that? Conditioning is the most specific thing that you can do for sport. So you hear people, hey, are you doing specific uh, sport training for these kids? And weightlifting, you're not doing specific weightlifting for kids. What you're doing is you're teaching just these biomechanical movements. You're training human movement is what you're doing. And their skill acquisition will help them with that. As far as training kids for their sports specific, I have an example here. I trained the see, Westerville Central Lacrosse team in 2019. So I trained them and I came in and what I did is I did this thing called heart rate training. So I put all these kids on heart rate monitors. And then what I would do is I would give them specific task to do. So the very first day I gave them a task of 350 yard bounces. That's when you run out to the 50 yard and then run back from the 50 yard. And what I would do is while they were on the heart rate monitor, I would determine the line on this heart rate monitor because I could visually see it on my tablet. When they would reach their resting point, I would call their name out. They would do it again. So it was based on them individually. Some kids, it took longer because their heart rate recovery wasn't the same. So I did three 50-yard bounces, and then I did 10 40 yards. They did a total of 700 yards. It took them 18 minutes. Their maximum heart rate was 99, 99%. That's pretty high. So 11% of them were in the red. And the red is when you get a catabolic effect. That's a negative effect. When you see kids like puking on the field, mm -hmm. you know, and Go old school mentality is like, oh, yeah, we did something real good. But actually, you probably just destroyed their recovery period is what you did. You made it harder for them the next time. So then one month later, so we did this three times a week. After one month later, we did 650 bounces and we did 1240-yard sprints with a total yards of 1,080 and they did it in 14 minutes as opposed to 18 because their heart rate was recovering much faster. Wow. So basically I gave them the gas tank they needed for the sport that they were playing and their heart was more efficient. It could more efficiently give them the fuel that they needed. So you're training the body to do the spurts of energy that they need to do within that sport. Correct. To have better recovery, not just how can we get endurance? I mean, you're changing the... So what you're changing is metabolic and how they use their energy system. And each sport uses a specific energy system. Humans use three energy systems. So like the, the one that everyone knows is endurance is like your long distance runners, your Kenyan runners that can just run forever. That's called oxygenated ATP. Those people can go forever. And then you have two other energy systems. One of them is called liver glycogen. That's the probably the hardest one and the hardest one to develop. That's like your 400 meter sprinter, 800 meter sprinters. That's that middle distance. You know, that's wrestlers. That's why those 
those events are so difficult because it's so it just it's very uncomfortable <laughs> very that's exactly uncomfortable. it and you're going to run you out at a certain your, time yeah you have yes. to train yourself for the discomfort and that is the one that you constantly have to train if you let that go a little bit it's going to go away pretty quick and then the last one is called the creophosphagen system it's the one that's most readily available and it's responsible for explosive movement think about your 100 meter sprinter 50 sprinters. meter sprinters and if you think just just think about the way if you if you watch track and field events, think about the way the sprinters look as opposed to the way those long distance run. Usually those sprinters are like muscular, really thick muscle, and they move really quick. They're a lot of fast twitch. And then you see the long distance. The runners. marathoners are yeah. small and petite. That's and right. Lean and what do the shot scrawny. putters look like? Shot putters is me and you, Jim. <laughs> Just to clarify. So shot putters would be what you would call absolute strength. I was a shot putter. Nice. Really? And discus in high school, yes, Jim. Very nice. Very nice. So what makes shot putters so great is they have something called counterweight. Yeah. Right? Wow. You Which have is... excellent counterweight, Jim. But, uh, I like where this is going. Go on. I have a new compliment for you too. Well, <laughs> counterweight. Check. <laughs> I excel at counterweight. <laughs> That's why people who are larger in size do better at bench press because yeah. they have more counterweight to hold that bench press back. Whereas a smaller person may be benching more than their body weight, but it might not be much at all. Yeah. Right. But overall, bigger people are going to be able to move bigger weight. And that's why shot putters are usually very large individuals. Mm -hmm. You don't see very small shot putters. It's just, right. it's not what it is. And now as science keeps going, you see this in everything. If you watch swimmers, they all look the same. They got short legs, long torsos, long arms. They all kind of look the same. It doesn't matter what nation they're from. <laughs> so how does um, your, uh, how does it evolve? I mean, we know the body, we know science, we know sports. How, what do you do to further your education, your knowledge, your training of what could change from 2019 when you did that and to now? Like our bodies are still the same. We're still eating the same thing. You know what yeah, I mean? How, yeah, I how does it. it evolve? So that is a great question because this is something that I've been dealing with recently. So, Prior to, I would say, my newest clientele, most of my clientele in the past, most of them who propulse or play a sport that moves you forward, you're going to have an anterior pelvic tilt where it kind of looks like your, your hips dip behind you because you have to. you got to propulse forward. You're leaning so, for, like yeah, your it has, more. yeah, and your hips kind of tilted backwards is what it is. So now... With the newest generation, what I'm getting, I'm still getting that pelvic tilt, but I'm also getting what's called a, a glenal humeral glide, where they glide forward. A slump. You can call it a slump. It's uh, yeah. Is it caused from this? It is. It's exactly what we're going to get into. So the it's caused. Hump. That's right. So if you're constantly got something in front of you, like a cell phone or a computer, which these kids are subjected to that all day it's long all, at school. Yeah. And they're sitting at 90 degrees at hip flexion in a chair. So there's just so many strikes against what's going on. And then if you have something really small and it's in front of you and forward and down, that's right. And that's exactly. And then 
what I'm seeing now is we get this pectoral shortening, the scaps get spread behind them, and then not only spread, but they'll start to lift at the bottom of it. So you get this winged effect because once they start rolling forward, the scap has, it's a floating bone. It's no different than the patella and the Adam's apple. It floats in space. So once you're positioned at a certain way, that thing's going to start separating from the rib cage. That's so funny. Jesse, last week in Amazon for um, the bow tie. Yes. Four man's ears came in the mail. And I'm like, what are It's a bro. (laughs) Like, what are these? And he goes, it's our posture. I got them for for the girls and for me. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I feel like my, like exactly what you were saying. He's like, I feel like my pecs are coming in and my, you know, and he goes, and I notice it in the girls. And um, that's funny. Yeah. He bought, and but we need to get different ones. And he's like, I'm going to make them wear this. This is going to be good for so then the, the other presentation that that has is a lot of people don't think about because they just think about the scap itself and how the shoulder is going forward in the pec, but they don't think about what's underneath that. Anyone in here like ribs? You guys eat ribs? Big fan. Yeah. Barbecue. That's right. So in between- Counterweight. I'm a, I'm a vegan. <laughs> Less counterweight. I love vegan ribs. Those are the best. Oh, yeah. So, Protein. Vegan's ribs. That's They're fantastic. <laughs> that's right. But if you look at ribs, it's meat, right? So meat can meat is muscle, right? So if you're if you have this presentation where you're drawn forward at the shoulder line and the pectoral shortening, basically what's happening to your ribs in the front is they are flexed, and then the ribs in the back are extended, Ex- right? Mm-hmm. Because that's how rib cage move. It's this moving object. And then in the center, you have abdominal content, but doesn't have a bone structure over it. So it's free moving in space. And then you got this diaphragm that acts like a piston up and down through the rib cage. So all this, you got all this stuff moving together. And then when a kid is forced into sitting at 90 degrees and putting a computer in front of his face and you know, I, that's one of the so worst So when they things. walk in, like you can tell right away. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, boy, oh, yeah. I got yeah. another one. <laughs> and, you know, it's sometimes what's funny about that is you, you, you get the look, you can see it, right? But sometimes the reason why is different, mm-hmm. right? The presentation could be there. You can see it. But once you get them on the table, you can start figuring out why. Hmm. Oh. So what are some successes? What you... you obviously been doing this a while what what are give us some success story examples okay sure i i actually brought some kpis as well um i I base most of my success on kpis uh as far as performance goes but as far as posture and those things go those kpis are the kids not hurt right because what happens if you go into a specific you got muscle overactivated on one side of the bone or joint line and the other muscles underactivated, you become subjected to injuries, right? Just as an example, most runners, field sports, the quads come into play. You're going to be a quad dominant athlete. When you get that anterior pelvic tilt, then what happens is that the hamstring becomes facilitated because the joint lines get further apart from each other. And then the quads are going to be not facilitated, they're going to be tight, but because they're co-contracted, it's a little bit different. One is stretched because it's facilitated and one is tight because it's co-contracted. So most kids, 
uh, don't even realize it. And what they'll do is like, oh man, my hammies are hurting. And then they stretch their hamstrings, but they're already at their facility safe state. They're already stretched. And then they don't stretch their quad. And then they, it, then that, that posture becomes egregious. And then that's when they start experiencing pain. Oh man, my low back hurts all the time. And those are the things that I bring them in and help, help them understand a way to, uh, do corrective exercises. Good. And what about the non-KPI success stories? So non-KPI success stories, I would say like something that I've been noticing and you wanted to talk about evolvement, how I evolve. I've been learning about this. It's a genetic thing. And some kids will have this thing called antiverted femurs. It's where the femoral head, when it fits into the acetabulum or the hip socket, their femur draws forward. So they don't have maximum coverage of that femoral head inside the hip. And what it does, it gives them the present presentation of knee knocking, like their knees are coming together almost. And a lot of these kids will be really fast because they got so much internal rotation, but they need both internal and external rotation. The great news is that external rotation, the norms, you have double the amount you do of in, internal rotation. So it's okay for them to have all this internal rotation and they lose some of the external rotation. And what happens, you'll see it down the line. The, femor, the femur will turn in and then the tibia will turn out. And then when you look at the medial side of their ankle bone, it will be way more developed than the lateral side of the, of the ankle bone because that's how the weight shifts out. And so and the then, body compensates. Exactly, for, from the floor. And what is what causes that turn in? So usually it's a genetic thing. Okay. Uh, and what you do, there's a test called the Craig's test. So the success story that I have with that is those kids, you don't want to deadlift them because and the traditional deadlift because a traditional deadlift is going to put your legs really close together and as soon as they lift heavy weights both their legs are going to go in which makes them more subjected to acl tears so what you do with kids like that is you sumo deadlift them you put them in external rotation and force the glutes to work on the external rotators so when i when that when that child comes in with the internal rotation are they coming in in any pain any discomfort or they're just coming in and, Hey, I'm an athlete. I'm a runner. I want to get better with this. I want to get faster. What can you do? You do your examination or, you know, your test or examination, you see that, or are they coming in presenting like my hips hurt every day? My blah, 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 blah. So I've had both and I'm, I'm really happy when they come in and they're not in pain because that just tells me where they're at. And then that's my job to watch over them to make sure it never becomes egregious. So do you retrain their body? Correct. Even if they're doing well, they're successful, they're, they have the turn in, but they're not in pain. Are you still, you're still yes, correcting? Yes, yes. Because I, so one thing that I've always done since I started um, being an exercise physiologist is I want to take... A person's weaknesses and try to make them those their strengths right now that's not to say that i would completely flip it 180 because their sports demanding some of that they have to have some of that to play their sport but i want to keep them in a neutral position as much as possible at their joint lines so michael what inspired you to to go into this field what what brought all this on that's a pretty funny story, actually. <laughs> um, so 
you know, I was living out on the West Coast, playing music on the weekends, and I worked in a factory. And uh, one time I got hit by a forklift and I put my arm up. I kind of caught it out of the corner of my eye and it threw me into these mafia blocks and I hit my head and I got up and I kind of shook it off, you know, woke up the next day and my hand wouldn't open. My fingers were like closed and curled under. And I had to go to physical therapy for about a year. And it took about a year for me to get 93% back into my hand, right? Be able to use it again. And right then and there, I thought, man, that that's kind of a cool job. Being a physical therapist would be really, really cool. Well, once I got 93%, my job terminated my position. They didn't terminate me. They terminated my position. So I was like, you know what? Why don't I just go to school? I'll just go to school, be a physical therapist. So originally I went to be a physical therapist, which means someone is injured and you're there to bring them back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. So I literally, uh, you know, typed in least expensive D1 school in the United States. (laughs) You know, I had a little chunk of change saved up from what I was doing out West and Southeast Missouri State University popped up. I thought, you know what? I'm going to go check it out. Here so we I go, went. Missouri. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, Here I come. So went to Missouri, went, checked it out. I went at the right time. I went in spring, got out of the car. I was like, oh my God, this place is beautiful. I cannot wait to do this. I went and visited the campus, really liked it. Went back to Oregon, basically sold everything that I had. Me and my great Dane drove all the way across the United States and uh, got there in August, got out of the car and I was overwhelmed with the heat and humidity, and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> wait and, a minute, wait. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. This is springtime. I was like, wait a minute, this isn't very nice. And it was right next to the Mississippi River. So the mosquitoes there were literally black and white striped, and they would carry you away. They were just so bad. It was just terrible. The, the Great Danes of mosquitoes. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> but... Again, I was fortunate enough to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, The head strength coach there, was his name was uh, Coach Ryan Johnson. He understudied in Iowa. We had two strength coaches that were from Harvard University. We had a strength coach that was from Duke. And then we had another strength coach that was from Miami. So we had some really good strength coaches in there. And I just soaked it up like a sponge. You know, again, originally I went for physical therapy I didn't like how competitive it was. One of my friends, he had like a 3.6 and he couldn't even get into a physical therapy school. And I was like, I got to do something else. And a buddy of mine that we wrestled together all of our life, he's like, dude, just go into exercise science. I was like, oh, that'd be awesome. So I went into that. I didn't really like that at first until I met Coach Ryan Johnson. When I met him, he had this class and he was like, okay, our lab is going to be going and training the D1 athletes. And I was like, oh, this would be interesting. Soon as that happened, I mean, as soon as it was like the light bulb came on, all this stuff that I'd been reading in a book, couldn't put it into anything, went into that lab with these athletes. And I was like, now it's making sense. This makes sense to me. And then that's when it turned on and I didn't stop. I hound that coach every day. And I was like, I want to volunteer my time. I was working a full-time job. I also delivered pizza. And then, you know, I volunteered 20 hours a week uh, with the student athletes. So it was a great experience. Wow. 
So from when you were in that experience, was was it then, did your dream pivot from physical therapy to opening your own gym or what, you know, were you looking at some other career path within sports science? So originally I wanted to be a collegiate strength coach. That's what I wanted to be. It was really cool. Everything was nice. And then I learned about the politics of it. And then I was like, oh my God. Why are we treating these kids who are humans, who have a life outside of this when they leave, just like a number? And that's what it was like. All these stipulations, you know, kid comes in with the wrong shirt on one day in the weight room. Now, I understand that you have to run a weight room tight and everything's in the details. I get that. But you shouldn't be suspending him because of things like that. You know what I mean? Like, take him to the side and talk to him. You know, you, you don't know what he's going through. You don't know what he had to go through to even get there that day. You know, so some of the things that would happen there, I just didn't like the politics of it. I just realized these were humans. And here we are teaching something about biomechanics of human beings, but not treating them like human beings. It was it was kind of odd. So then I decided, well, I don't want to do collegiate. And then I just wanted to work for somebody else. So my wife moved to Ohio in 2016 and she graduated a semester before me. So I graduated a semester after her in 2016 as well, but I ended up coming over here in 2017. And we lived in Dublin. And Dublin was a little bit too busy for us. So we started looking around the areas where I could do something, you know, open up a gym. And that's what I wanted to do. So we visited local areas around the Columbus, greater Columbus area. And Marysville was one of the places that pulled up. And I knew there wasn't an exercise physiologist here. And, you know, I just studied like household medium income and what's the average age of people here in Marysville. And then the fact that we love our sports and and you got farm kids here and farmers are strong. They grow up strong because they're working hard every day. It's the counterweight. That's right. (laughs) It is the counterweight. So do you remember the movie uh, Conan the Barbarian? Yeah. The the original one. Arnold Schwarzenegger. The Arnold Arnold, Schwarzenegger. That's right. So you remember at the start of the movie, he's like a kid and he's put on this thing and it has a wheel on it and he's just pushing it and it's just grinding something. You don't know what it's grinding, but he's pushing it the whole time. And each time you see it, there's less and less people on it. And then by the time it's done, he is the person on it. And he's humongous then. He's he's Arnold now, you know. Well, not now. Then. Then. Yeah. <laughs> but not then then. then. Now. Yeah. yeah, then. But updated. So yeah. what that is, it's, it's so funny. It's called Wolf's Law. And Wolf's Law states that when you put an exterior force on the outside of a bone, the bone matrix will restructure itself and become stronger. Right? Mm. That law was written in 1836. So when you hear people say, oh, you shouldn't have kids weight lift it'll stunt their growth it actually does just the opposite that law has been around literally 1836 to 1903 because they've made revisions of it since then so that laws and that's why farm kids what are they doing mm-hmm. bailing hay manual labor they're doing manual, manual labor, labor right well, so these bones it. are getting strong and they're and then a law came out later in 19 in the night early 1900s called davis law it's the same thing, except it's about soft tissue because everything's interconnected, right? The bone matrix is made of calcium primarily. And then those tendons and ligaments attach onto the bone. Those, that's all collagen fiber. And even, you know, bone is collagen fiber as well. So all that works together. And these kids grow up in farm areas. That's what they're doing all their life before they ever hit a weight room. 
Yeah. Nice. Well, I, I know you guys don't know this. Addison is coming in tomorrow uh, for her oh, assessment. Yeah. Yes. Um, cool. So she is she is going to start that before uh, the track season. And then uh, Michael has guaranteed her dunking bef- by next year. So no. Yes. <laughs> come with Michael, guarantees. Michael has yeah. not guaranteed the dunking. Uh, she is like five foot four. Um, so if, if she is dunking, then um, well, there might be a big like Christmas bonus uh, in it <laughs> at that point. Sounds but, good. Um, so uh, but she's coming here. She's she's going to start that um and and really be uh, a catalyst we're going to film her transition and her journey through it and uh some of the changes because she's got counterweight like me and jim uh, she is her dad's daughter um so she she has the bad habits but she also has you know the athleticism to to be able to uh harness that so i i think she can turn into a, a machine yeah um she is the machine but Yes. So that that let's talk about that, Michael. What is uh, what's the minimum requirements for classes per week, uh, cost per class, so forth for anyone who's interested in getting an assessment set up with you to, to have them come in? So typically the assessment will be a little bit more because sometimes it can take longer. Sometimes it takes less time. So I do that at $50 per assessment. And that evaluation, whether you decide to come to me in the future or not, it stays with you for life. I will also give you the corrective exercise that you do. The corrective exercise that you do, you can do at home. I've made all these exercises to be able to do at home because they need to be done on a daily basis. Consistent. They have to be consistent or you're not, you're just not going to see change, you know? Um, and then there's obviously modifiers that we can do once they're in the weight room. If you, and from that physical evaluation, I determine how many days I want to see somebody a week based on that physical evaluation. You know, if I get a kid that's pretty egregious and I'm like, this kid's about to get hurt, I'll take them on five days a week if I need to. It just depends on where they're at based on that physical evaluation. Now, your daughter's pretty young. Most young kids, you're not going to see a whole lot of bad habits yet because they just haven't developed yet. There's no tone yet. So most kids like that, I just see them a couple days a week and I just monitor what they do and I just watch. And then what I do with these, these evaluations is every three months I retest that evaluation to see if it's moving in a certain direction. And we want it to be moving in the right direction, of course. But if we do something that's not moving in the right direction, then we change something up. Or we have a little talk like, hey, have you been doing these exercises at home? How often have you been doing them? How many sets have you been doing? You know, I I talk to kids every day. Every time kids come in, I ask them if they've learned anything at school. The usual response is, nah, brah. (laughs) That's the usual response. (laughs) I can believe that. It really is. Yeah, brah has taken over again. I I thought that died in the 90s. It is back. It's it's back with authority. (laughs) With a vengeance, yes. So I have a question. Are the goals... Okay, what are the goals that you have for Addison for bringing her here? Um, so Addison, uh, she struggles. She's physically, she's very strong, uh, very aggressive. That's that's why she's able to uh, compete with the older, bigger kids like like Clara and and Mary and be aggressive. And um, I mean, even last year as a fifth grader. She was playing with eighth graders because the team was really good and she was on the court a lot and not backing down kids twice her size. Um, she got slapped in a game in the tournament because 
she was just menacing to to this girl twice her size <laughs> and it was the girl was so frustrated by the by the third period that she literally did a spin and slapped Addison so hard on the sideline that it, it I mean you could hear it through the whole gym and I saw Addison like rubbing her arm like ow <laughs> like that that hurt and it was it was like a um, a discus throw slap like she did a full spin mm. to to get that slap in so um so you know physically she has the strength she doesn't have the endurance and the conditioning to be able to um live up to it late in game so so you your goals for her are endurance I, yes better I, conditioning. I would i would like her to um tone tone up what she's doing a little bit so that she's able to to run and be quicker um and process so speed, things quicker speed and endurance yes and Part of part of the quickness is, you know, mental processing of the game because she's a sixth grader and sometimes you're still, you know, coach right. Coach Austin puts a lot of complex things in, and for Not a younger sure, player, yeah. they they process that slower. So, um, I want her to be able to physically process it so that her body is is making the movements to reaction because I think her reaction time is pretty poor. Okay. So then, Michael, for you, hearing that, are are your performance or are your goals goals performance based, like Dan is asking, or you're looking at your assessments of you know her body on the table and where she's lined up and this and that, and are your goals for her more what, what did you say biometric biomechanical biomechanical yes. or is it I want my daughter to be able to run faster have be more agile. That's a great question. It's actually both, right? Because if they have these norms that are not meeting, right? If they're not meeting these norms, it's going to affect the way they move, right? So if you have too much internal rotation, let's say. I had one girl that had an extreme amount of internal rotation and no external rotation. So she could run fast once she got going, right? Because then she could just turn over. But she couldn't get off the line very fast because she has no external rotation to push her off the line, right? So my goal with everyone that comes to the door is to help them to reach their genetic potential. It's all in the genes. It's all in the genes. Here we are. We're back to the genes. That's right. So for someone like her, and, and, and not just her, but everyone that comes in, I record their short sprint right away because you hear this all the time. What do coaches tell you to do to run faster? Anybody? I mean, you guys are in sports. When you hear a coach say, run, what do they usually tell them? Run. Run faster. It's not as if they're automatically going to auto-assimilate everything and understand how to run faster, right? But I know the tools to help you run. That's exactly, exactly. And I know those things. Because if they're a poor runner, they're just, and you say run, they're just going to do their poor running over and over. Right. And then (laughs) what they're going to do is they're going to go into gross extension because they think running faster is reaching farther well sprinting good sprinting is how many times you can actually put your foot into the ground because yeah the turnover that's perfect because the more times you can put your foot in the ground the more you can create those force velocity parameters you can't do that if you're up in the air and have this huge gait that doesn't make sense. Right. And typically when you have a huge gait, you're going to land in your heel. So you're going to look slower and slower. You might look like you're moving fast, but you're just a hamster in a wheel at that point. Just going and going and going and you're just stuck in the same place. And the other way I do this is I have lasers too. I test 
kids 40s i test their 20s i got a set of lasers upstairs when summertime hits we go outside we hit them lasers and there's no way you can cheat that mm -hmm. so wow do you do uh, much with diet and exercise or nutrition i do that i mean plays a role <laughs> diet can be tricky everyone's diet caters a different way than you know if you think about like keto diet for example Keto diet works with about 7% of the population, but it works so well, it's convincing for everybody, right. but it's not, it doesn't work for everybody. Well, what do they, isn't there a, um, I remember my cousin and I used to run a lot together and um, I think she had just had her baby and she said something like, oh, I got to get this last, I think it was like 10 pounds. She's like, I got to get this last 10 pounds off because for every I don't remember what it was. For every pound of weight, extra weight, it slows your speed. Or it, it we were running half okay. marathons, marathons. So it was there was some ratio. Okay. For every pound, for every pound, it's three extra pounds of pressure on your ankle. So, yeah, like it was something, or like for every pound, you're typically seven seconds slower. So if I'm ten pounds over, that's you know something like that. So I don't know that I believe that. I got some pretty big boys that play football, and th those guys can move. I think it would probably more about probably more like the like you were saying the pounds of pressure on your body, which then well, the, or what is yeah, so muscle or fat exactly. <laughs> so then that's what you got to look at body composition, right? Because do you do that? Do you yes, I have body, a the, I have a body composition scale up there. I put every kid through that. It's on their app on their phone. Kids love their phone, so they always bring their phone. So they put that app on there. It will save that data for a year. They can weigh in every time they come here and then they can start seeing the changes. They may not even lose weight, but they will change turn body composition. That's fat right. Fat to muscle. Yeah, it doesn't really turn from fat to muscle. That's a, that's not true either. Fat's not going to turn into muscle. It's not even the same type of tissue, but you can lose well, how brown do you fat. Okay, so you're you can losing lose fat. It. Oh, yeah. Fat you're building yeah. Up. Yes. Yeah. So really, what you want is bone density, you want muscle, and you want water. Water is actually considered lean tissue as well. And the reason why people put on a lot of fat is because they don't drink enough water. Because when you don't, especially around the midsection, if you don't drink enough water, your brain will always win this race, always, because it has to protect your organs to survive. So it will put fat tissue around your organs to protect it because where it doesn't know what be. you're doing, where, where water should water. be. That's correct. And if you're dehydrated, that means your organs are dehydrated too. And if you only drink water when you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated. I've seen the cycle over and over. I got enough data to know when so I can now I can just tell when kids come in. If they've been with me for a while, sometimes I can just tell by the look in their eye if they're dehydrated. I tell them to go on the scale. Usually nine times out of ten, they're dehydrated. And then we start a cycle of something like liquid IV, mm -hmm. some good electrolytes that don't taste very well, but it's good for you. And that's, that's the problem with diet with today is because most people eat because it's palatable. That's all they eat for. They don't eat for it's what food social. is. Yeah, it tastes good. It's a social. Yeah, event. but food is really fuel. And that's how we should look at it. And it's good that it's social and it tastes good every once in a while. But does, you don't have to be a king and a queen every meal. You know what I mean? It, it's okay to be a pauper every once in a while. <laughs> To get that counterweight. Like Burger King. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, do, I do not endorse Burger King. What is, I, I will never endorse Burger King. I'm editing that out. The name. Flame in grilled since 1957. Uh, yeah. Worst yeah. of the fast food. 
Um, All fast food's bad, actually. Sure, but that that we is won't exceptionally even bad. Get into no, that conversation. Yeah. Stay right. in your lane, Michael. So, <laughs> I will, I will say <laughs> Don't Michael, ruin our night. Yeah. What is, sorry, sorry. <laughs> what is a last note you want to leave uh, with the parents? Uh, for for themselves, for the kids, of, of any healthy tips for for bad habits to keep their kids away from, or healthy habits. Okay, so really, I think the three things that kids should stay away from as much as possible is shoes, screens, and sedentary lifestyle. Those are the three. He didn't things. say fast food, guys. Shoes. I thought it. Well, would be. I consider food sedentary lifestyle because the re- reason we do it is because it's convenient, right? So shoes, yes. Let's get on topic of shoes. Yeah, I'm very curious about this. Kids should not wear shoes. Well, they need to wear shoes where it's appropriate. You know, they don't have to wear shoes all day long. That is a problem. The foot has 33 joints in it. That tells you it should not be in a casket right away. Okay. If we did the same thing to our hands that we do to our feet, our hands would be useless. Absolutely useless. The problem is is we've terraformed the earth so much and there's concrete and there's glass and there's all this stuff. So we're always scared that a kid's going to get hurt and they probably could, you know, I don't tell kids, Hey, go barefoot in a construction site. That's not what I'm saying. You know, go outside, go on a concrete patio, go on a wooden deck, hit the grass, you know, just walk around. The foot is actually a sensory unit, just like your hand. So the skin on your hand and the skin on the bottom of your foot is called glabrous skin. It's the only two places on the human body you have it. You have these awesome mechanoreceptors in your hands and in your feet called Markel disc. They constantly read the environment. That's why when you get your hand close to something warm, you know right away. You don't do this. You don't turn your hand upside down. You do that glabrous skin. You know right away. When you walk on a hot beach, what happens? You know right away. You know right away. And you understand texture too. So it's got two-point discrimination, those Markel discs do. So it is a sensory unit, and it is supposed to read the ground. And what foot shoes have done is they've, they've kind of ruined your foot. You have three arches on the bottom of your foot. Most people only think about one. And then that one arch, they support. You can't bridge a bridge. It doesn't work. So when you do something like that, now there are occasions that orthopedics, they, they need to do that, right? If there's some condition going on with the kid, I get that. But if you teach the arch to not have to do anything because- To not it, have to calibrate. Exactly. Because the shoe's doing it for you, you're just going to weaken that and then you're going to collapse your arch. You, you make your foot dependent upon- the shoe that you're in instead of letting your body and your foot Correct. calibrate for itself. Or yes. Just like we would with our hands. That's why people who work with their hands, their hands look different than everybody else's. Right. So that was one of the tests that we did in college. We went around with a gerometer and everybody squeezed. And all I did was people that worked with their hands. I did a lot of kids that weight lifted and believe it or not, I went to the produce department in the grocery store. Those guys are freaking strong because they're constantly grabbing all this stuff and twisting mm. lettuce and doing what it really strong guys. Don't mess with your local produce. That's workers. right. Yeah. No, that's what we take away from this. All right. And what are some uh, healthy habits? Oh, wait, you said shoes? Shoes, screens, screens and sanitary which lifestyle. I think sanitary we all lifestyle. Know. Yeah, because yeah. self-explanatory. Been there, done that. Blue light, <laughs> blue light. So blue light. What happens with screens is they get this blue light, and blue light actually 
gives you a dopamine dump. It's a false hit in your brain. It makes your brain turn on. It's an excitatory neurotransmitter. And then the receptors in the brain are like, oh my God, we're flooded right now with this stuff. Let's resist this. So they become resistant, these receptors. And that's why you hear about kids, 11, 12-year-olds with depression, right? Because an excitatory neurotransmitter is supposed to excite you. It's supposed to get you excited. But then you got these receptors that are like, I can't take this anymore. It's flooding my brain. So they turn off. And then the kids got some issues. So screens is another thing I think is just absolutely terrible for kids. And then obviously sedentary lifestyle, maybe even seats, you know, sitting at 90 degrees all day long. Again, our kids are subjected to that, you know, wherever they go, especially at school, you know, they, they go to learn at these institutes and those things are not taken into consideration, right? You know, we talk, Cammie eats a lot. Cammie at home is our like junk fooder and she eats a lot of convenient style meals. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'm buying it. So yes, I'm to blame because I'm she can't drive. She doesn't have funds. So I'm buying the skillet meals and the, you know, egg waffles or uncrustables or whatever, which in my mind are meant for when we're on the go. Right. That's our quick meal, not constantly that's the only food you're eating. And she has some belly issues and things like that. And Jesse's like, it's because you eat this trash, you know? And and he kind of broke it down one day. He's like, listen, that stuff was invented when both parents, you know? And and it, it all made sense. It's like, yeah, that stuff was invented when, when the mom wasn't at home anymore cooking fresh food every day. So whatever the circumstances, then the, you know, country started creating these, these convenient, you know, TV dinners type of shit like that. Processed Processed foods. Well, highly processed foods, we should say. Which was supposed to be, you know, or maybe the intention was the quick fix, not your whole diet consisted of that. And now we, you know, are so reliant upon that. And, and when you first said like, fast food is sedentary lifestyle, my brain kind of went to challenge you like, well, no, because we do fast food when we're in a pinch because we're so busy. But that's probably the minority of people who are actually using fast food as a fast food. As fast food, yes. We're using it for every meal just because it's quick, easy, cheap, tastes good, not because we're in a pinch. Well, let's, let's go back to the original fast food. Here's the original fast food. We have an opposing thumb, right? That puts us at the top of the food chain. Original fast food is plucking an apple off of a tree, grabbing a banana, grabbing an orange. That's original fast food. Now, you go to a grocery store, thousands of years of evolution around an orange. It's grown a skin, right? To keep everything off it. Now, they put it in a piece of cellophane. Mm-hmm. They don't even have the skin on it anymore, and it's already chopped up with every, even the rind, part of the rind. Yeah. Your little mandarin oranges in a cup with yes, plastic. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And 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 I'll time anybody. I I can pull an apple off a tree way faster than you can get fast food to <laughs> any fast food restaurant yeah. in this city. If you have your apple tree handy, better be a freaky <laughs> fast tree. But yeah. Oh gosh, we could, you might have to make two episodes of this, Dave. Well, listen, this was this was yeah, great was information. I do um, have one more question. Yeah, go ahead. You said you have adult classes. I do. So I have... you talked about the kids. That's more individual. Yes. One-on-one. 
your adult classes, do you still do the assessment beforehand? Are those just come as you want? Do you have to sign up? Blah, blah, blah. So the adult classes is evaluation as well. The only thing I don't do with adults is KPIs because they don't need any key performance indicators. Now, if there is something that they're trying to do, we will talk about that. Like if they're trying to run a marathon, oxygenated ATP is one of the easiest ones to train. You just you just do it. You know, you, you do long distance work every day, slow, easy, long distance. That's what that's about. Um, and if they have some other goals in mind, of course, we can do that. You know, that, that's pretty simple stuff too. And their actual training regiment will be based for them on the physical evaluation. Adults are even harder because you have years of them mm-hmm. sitting in a certain position and, or, or my wife just had a baby. I have a five month old, you know, it oh. changed her body, right? A lot of people don't talk about that, but now that's why they have these pelvic floor specialists. So after a that's woman has a baby now. That's a different episode too. Well, it's, again, that's <laughs> biomechanical. In the room. <laughs> that's biomechanical yeah. once again, right? The hips are going to change. Um, so you're... Your pelvic synthesis is going to open up. It has to during childbirth. So the uh, celiac in the back, it's all going to close in. That celiac joint is all going to close in because to the front. open the pelvis. That's yeah. right, to open the pelvis yeah. up in the front. So, yeah, it changes biomechanicals for females. So, you know, I had one female that came in. She had five children in a very short period of time. And I'm like, wow, it's looking like. For the past 16 years, you've been pregnant. Like, that's going to change your body quite a bit. And she was complaining about her back. And, you know, there's a lot of nerves that go along with that. And she had some, like, uh, what you would call superior nerve uh, damage in her low back because it was constantly being prepped you know, pressed on when you have a baby inside of you, mm-hmm. you know, so there was techniques to help her out and she's doing better now. So my sister-in-law at Christmas just told us she, her son is 11 and she's a runner and she's like, I just had this pain. She said, I woke up, I think she said around Thanksgiving and she was like numb. Her one side was numb oh, and she side, thought it was yeah. her thigh and she's like her, or her quad. She goes, I thought I just pulled it, you know, running. She ended up getting an MRI, all this stuff. It was a herniated disc from yeah, childbirth. Yeah. And she never, and she said she would get this every once in a while, like numbness down her quad. And she thought it, she just didn't stretch good or something. Right. And then she said, mm. yeah. yeah. So, so she it, goes, for 11 years, 12 years, I've had this. Yeah, so it sounds like herniated disc from Periformis syndrome or sciatica because that disc can, when it, Basically, when a ver- vertebrae does that, it's called subluxation, where it pinches on one side and it can hit that nerve. And, you know, the sciatic nerve is enormous. It's huge. And it's just kind of a a design flaw, so to speak, because it goes right through the same area that the piriformis muscle does. So if that piriformis swells up, which it does for most runners, mm-hmm. then it pushes right up against that sciatic nerve. Yeah. Now, hers sounds like it, it's different because it's in her vertebrae, which is a little bit more up the line. I think that's like uh, L5 is where that would be. And it pinches on that nerve and it can shut the leg down. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what can happen. But she's like, who knew? Like childbirth and all. Well, well yeah. When it's so much goes on. And like you said, that's not talked about frequently. I mean, Sh- Shakira did say it best. The hips don't lie. So, you know, they, Michael, they, they always tell the this. truth. <laughs> um, Michael, thank you. Uh, this was extremely informative. I can't wait to see Addison's transformation. We will be sharing all of this. We're going to put links uh, to our Facebook page to your site. Um, that way, 
uh, anybody listening can can get out there and uh, get get some people in, get their kids in, and um, let's see how we can create better little humans. So that's right. That's the goal. That's right. Next generation. Our stage is done now. Let's pass it on to the next generation. That's exactly it. Very good. Well, Michael, we always like to give you the last thought before we sign off. My last thought is the best movement is the next movement. Very good. Very good. Well, we want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, We're doing our best. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, anywhere podcasts found, iHeart Music Podcasts, so forth. Uh, Jim, welcome back. We were glad to have you on this episode. Likewise. Marie, thank you for being here. Thank you. And uh, we will see you guys next episode. Michael, thank you. You have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for your time. Thank you. Thank you.